The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I am Anthony Cazenza here with my novice equipment while my co-host John Sheeran has the the pro setup over there. He's got a new mic, he's he's got some some crazy headphones. He's he's looking real pro. John, how are you? How's your new equipment, the new microphone treating you? I feel like the what was it wasn't it the six million dollar man? We, we, we can improve them. We have the technology. Um, yeah. No, nah, like it's it's been long overdue for my side to have an, an upgrade in audio quality. So this is for you guys. Ho- hopefully you can hear me better now. Well, you got the you got the Barry White vibe going on the very the, the deep voice. Hey, uh, I like it. I like it. Uh, sounds good. And um, people are asking when I'm going to upgrade mine. I, I feel my mic's actually pretty good. You just can't see it. It's the same brand as yours. Uh, I was trying to get on your level. In, in well, yeah, I just, uh, I don't, I don't have it up here because of how my room is set up. So uh, I, I may need to do something more of a boom mic like you, like you've got there, but that's, that's some good stuff, man. Was that, was that a graduation present or something you said? It was the one thing I asked for graduation. My parents were like, all right, fine. I, I, I guess this constitutes your career at the moment. It's like, yeah, yeah, just think of it like that. Nice, nice. Well, I like it, uh, and obviously we're we're doing uh, a little bit more on the show here. Um, I, I do want to. We're going to jump into just for this week. Uh, we're going to jump into some OTA news and updates and other updates. We're going to talk about the quarterback situation, not really about Andy Dalton, but about the other quarterbacks on the Bengals roster, how they've per- been performing. Um, or not performing in practice. Uh, and then we're going to talk about some former Bengals uh, people associated, some high-level people associated with the team who have uh, recently come out and made some interesting comments. So we'll talk about that, what that means. Um, thanks to all of you who joined us last week on our standalone 
uh, our standalone listener question show. Like I said, we're going to try and keep that up. I don't know if we'll do it weekly, but we'll do it at least um, a few times a month and, uh, you know, keep that going along with some other things. So I'm uh, going to kind of split the show up a little bit, give you some more content, continued content. And um, so, uh, yeah, keep, keep it subscribed to all the channels that we have, iTunes. Uh, gosh, I'm, I'm thinking about all the channels we have. iTunes. Um, we're on Google Play. We are on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're on uh, YouTube, obviously. All of you are joining us live on YouTube. And we are on CincyJungle.com. And then all of our content is also on the Megaphone platform. So subscribe to those. Get the feeds and uh, get all the all, all the content we've got coming up. One little, uh, and this is a little surprise to, to you, John. I didn't mention this before we took the air. But um, we may be getting, and uh, don't... Uh, hold me down to it, but I'm in conversations with potentially getting Carlos Dunlap on the show in the near future. So um, we uh, hopefully we can make that happen. He just had a camp for a youth camp, youth football camp, I believe. Um, so we want to hear about that and some other things. So I'm working on getting him on the program, obviously to talk about what he's doing in the community and what the Bengals are looking like in 2019. So uh, not set in stone at this moment, but um, looking like he will be on the program sometime soon. And we will for sure let you know if and when that takes place. Exciting. We haven't talked to him before. So uh, that would be, that'd be a pretty cool get. Um, so hopefully that'll be coming soon. Kind of start off the show, John, with uh, some, a little bit of news and notes. Uh, I mean, we've talked about this the past two episodes, so I don't want to belabor it, but, um, Gerald McCoy is not going to the AFC North anywhere. He's going to Carolina. They were kind of a late dark horse team. I, some people believe that he went to that team to kind of stick it to the Buccaneers because that's in the Tampa Bay division. And, uh, you know, he got kind of upwards of what he was looking for on a one-year deal. So any kind of, I'd love to just tie a bow on the McCoy talk because we've talked a lot about it. <laughs> um, but just any any thoughts? I mean, I guess there's relief if he's not going to go to the Bengals. There has to be relief that he's not going to anywhere in the AFC North because he's a good football player and the Bengals don't play the Panthers this year. So uh, they won't be seeing him. Yeah, like like I'll allow it. Like as long as not going to the Baltimore Cleveland, I'm, I'm definitely fine with it. But I think it just shows that money wasn't everything in this decision. And he took the departure from Tampa Bay respectfully, but also personal, and, and the fact that, hey, you're going to replace me with Dindamik and Sue, then, you know, if, if I'm going to have the opportunity to play you guys twice a year, surrounded by amazing front seven talent like that, that front seven for Carolina is now completely loaded along alongside with him. He's playing next to a great three technique himself and, and K1 short, and obviously has Luke Keekley behind him, so they're going to be really tough to run. They're going to be really tough to, to stop in terms of pass protection along with McCoy, so he, he brought himself into a great situation to elevate his own game. He got compensated about with, you know, what you could expect his market to look like and maybe maybe he did turn down a couple million dollars with Baltimore or Cleveland maybe he turned down a chance to maybe win a couple more games during the season but he's still a talented player and this is a one-year deal for him so obviously he could he could be um obviously making a case for a, a more long-term deal next year because I still I think about 30 31 years old so he might be in play for one more multi-year extension so it's a good decision for him and unfortunately the, the only reason why we ever talked about him is because he mentioned him is because he mentioned the Bengals once in some conversation about they could be better this year. So unfortunately, unfortunately, it didn't go anywhere along with along with that. But um, I, I, I'm not sure it would it would have mattered what the Bengals offered him unless it was something 
substantial and completely over his market. He obviously had other motives with this decision and good for him. If that's what's going to get him going, get him up a second gear to get back to where he was a couple years ago, then all the, all the, all the more power to him. Yeah. He kind of almost did the Darrell Revis thing um, where, you know, he kind of jumped around, kind of let teams wine and dine him a little bit. Then he took the one year rental deal for a lot of money. And then who knows, he could parlay that into another rental deal for a lot of money next year. Like he said, a multi-year extension. So, um, I guess just to kind of close it up, it sounds as if if he hits incentives and everything, it's going to be over $10 million for the year. Um, it's about eight point five, I, I think, is guaranteed or, um, you know, he's going to be seeing most, if not all of that, no matter what this year. Is some part of you still kind of saying, hey, the Bengals could have got this done. They should have got this done. Or is it kind of like let bygones be bygones? They've got enough talent and um, – you know, he's not in the AFC North, so I'm fe- I feel better about it. Well, maybe if the Bengals were the Buccaneers' rivals and they offered him more money, maybe they would have had a chance. I, I just think there were other factors here that, that were out of the Bengals' yeah. control, and I know that Duke Tobin said what he usually says with free agency, it's a two-way street, and it takes two sides to really agree upon it. So the Bengals had interest in McCoy, but the interest McCoy had in the Bengals just didn't match it for, for whatever reasons. And I think we can pretty much, like, formulate what, what those reasons were, and unfortunately just wasn't a match. So he's going to go with the Carolina Panthers and, um, you know, he's not landing in the AFC North. Uh, I, I think really, I mean, to be quite honest with you, even though the Bengals aren't picked to be very good this year, I think any one of those four would have been a good landing spot for him with the money. I mean, he, he would have been, uh, he may not have got all of the playing time in Cincinnati that he may have received at those other destinations, but uh, still a quality line he would have been playing with. And if the Bengals end up surprising some people this year, you know, he would have made a, you know, a decent decision there, but uh, Carolina should be competitive as well. So um, that's where he is headed. Speaking of the defense and this off season and OTAs and all that stuff, John, the Bengals defense seems to be stepping it up over this past week or so, or the past few practice sessions. Um, I think it's both refreshing to hear because there's, there's reason for optimism there's reason for just to shrug your shoulders, and then there's reason for cringing. Um, the reason for optimism is how poorly the Bengals played on defense la- throughout much of last year. They were uh, below average in terms of interceptions created on the season and, and all of that. Obviously, there are some, some injuries and things of that nature on that side of the ball for the team, but um, they have been stepping up and playing pretty well as of late in the OTA sessions. The thing that makes you kind of shrug as well is – it's OTA sessions. Um, so how much stock can you put into that? But, uh, and then the thing that makes you cringe, and we'll talk more about this in the next segment, but the, uh, the quarterback play got, has got to get you worried a little bit, but uh, your thoughts on the defense stepping up over the past few days in OTAs for the Bengals. Well, just remembering the past couple of training camps, like when the Bengals, you know, up, leading up to some four seasons with the Bengals, it, it always felt like the defense is just one step ahead. And that was with pads, without pads, just getting a, like a fierce pass rush, just guys recognizing, you know, linebackers clicking and closing, just just feeling like they were just on top of things. And then we saw the defense just not play at that level during the regular season. So I, I think it's always kind of been like that, at least with recent years. But again, this is OTAs and there's no pads. So you can't really judge a pass rush. You can't really judge press man coverage with, with, with the cornerbacks. So the one thing that it was what, what I'm thinking about when I'm hearing the, the, the defense dominant is that they're just playing comfortable. They're just playing, you know, sound defense with, with each other in their games their spots pretty quickly and doing all that good stuff. So that's definitely good to hear because 
obviously last year the main problem was all, all the miscommunication, all the discomfort with, with the scheme. So if they're picking up, you know, what um, the Lou, Lou Anarumos is putting down with, with his new scheme, that's definitely good to hear. Um, I, I wouldn't put too much stock into it yet because, again, there's no pads on and it's just guys playing 11 on 11 in, in shirts and shorts. So, like, it, it, it's it's fine for now, especially with everyone healthy and, you know, all the starters all the starters playing, and especially with, like, you know, the, the offensive line is going through so much change right now because I think they had Trey Hopkins play left guard uh, this week with Cordy Glenn out. So we, we haven't even had Christian Westerman play left guard yet. Like he might be um, dealing with an injury himself, but there's there's a lot of shuffling going on with the offensive line. So there could be miscommunication there. And again, and again, as you said, quarterbacks might be making some bad throws, putting the putting the defense in good positions there. And again, there, there's a lot of change on the offensive side. So maybe we have receivers, you know, making some wrong routes and some poor decisions on their part. So it, it's good if you know if one unit stepping up over the other, then that's fine, especially with that unit playing so badly this year and with it not really changing much in terms of personnel. So right now with us, with the current circumstances going on with the, with there not being any pads, with there not being any contact, if the defense is doing well, that just means they're just playing well as a unit and they're, they're, they're absorbing the scheme at a, at a fast rate. And that's definitely positive to hear, even without the fact that they're not really hitting anybody yet. So I, I want to ask you this because w- for those who pay attention to CincyJungle.com and why wouldn't you, um, I recently put up a mailbag post on the website, and that was thanks to to you listeners out there because those were the the questions. There's going to be another, even another mailbag that will go up later this week, but those were the questions we could not get to. We received so many uh, for our standalone listeners listener questions segment that uh, we just we couldn't get to all of them, but we. Uh, we were able to get to them through the mailbag segment, but uh, this kind of got me thinking a little bit. It was a question on, uh, I think it was from uh, Sam Anger, uh, who's from the UK. I think he's part of the Bengals UK podcast and everything. Uh, great guy. He asked a question, John, that was, hey, you know, just kind of a fun, fun nature. Do you think William Jackson or Jesse Bates will have more interceptions this uh, this year, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, you know, I'm looking at updates from Tuesday's practice from Jay Morrison of the athletics. They, you know, he wrote a tweet that said Jesse Bates jumps a slant for Boyd in the end zone and picks off Andy Dalton um, defense winning the day. And it's not close. So I guess I, I was surprised to, to, I mean, I knew it in the back of my mind, but in researching it, William Jackson just has one, one interception. Um, as a as a Bengals cornerback, now he missed all of his rookie year. He didn't have any last year, and then the one interception he did have was the pick six of Aaron Rodgers. But I, I guess I'm kind of sitting here, and, and you hear this this kind of these updates about the defense. I guess I, I'm kind of sitting here going, well, interceptions are a little bit overrated, I guess, in certain circles. William Jackson has had some good pro football focus scores, all of that. But are you worried about the, the lack of interceptions so far, especially when people are waiting for this all pro-ish season? Or are you satisfied with the coverage rate, the lack of quarterbacks throwing his way, all of that stuff? Um, to me, I researched the last couple of years, the Bengals were middle of the pack or below average, like I said, in interceptions forced. So that's – and that creates opportunities for the offense. So 
Big question, a lot of different facets to it, but I kind of wanted to get your thoughts based on Sam Anger's tweet, what I wrote in the mailbag post and all of that. Well, I just want to know how, how long has it really been that the Bengals have had problems dropping interceptions? Because I feel like that's been just a disease that's gone on for about five years. It doesn't matter if the defense is good, the defense is bad. Drop picks after drop picks, no matter who, who was going towards. Like, William Jackson had, like, you know, somewhere in the teens in terms of interceptions at Houston. I think he had, like, 18 pass deflections his last year there. His ball skills are, are amazing. It's not just because his hands are good, but his timing – to, to, to jump routes with the high point of the ball. He, he attacks the ball like a wide receiver. I don't think that has necessarily gone away. It's kind of similar to like drops with receivers. So it's not like a, a stable like trait that carries over from college to, to, to the NFL. Like sometimes receivers are great hands catchers in college and then some they just develop drop issues like we've seen with John Rosh and that can be confidence issues. But with cornerbacks, it's almost like, you know, they're cornerbacks because they can't really catch passes. But William Jackson – I have no issues with his hands and his ability to catch interceptions. And with the Bengals defense last year, like Drake Patrick and William Jackson were both, I think top 10 for PFFs, like uh, coverage snap per like reception allowed. And it was mainly because they just weren't targeted that much because the whole defense is predicated on funneling everything towards the middle. And that's why the linebackers and the, the short safeties were just picked apart you know, across the middle in the intermediary zone. So they weren't getting a lot of action going towards their way. So even the opportunities that they had for interceptions, they, it just wasn't that, that much. And when they were going towards their way, it was just drop after drop. And that's been something that's plagued numerous Bengals over the past, you know, half decade, you know, regardless of who's the, 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 the defensive coordinator. So I don't know if that's, that, that's a, just a measure of luck. That's going to hit some form of regression in, in the immediate future, it definitely would be nice because, as you said, those, some of those Jesse Bates interceptions from last year, they, they, they swung some games and not only the interceptions, but forced fumbles. Like turnovers definitely helped out, helped out the offense and the the, num- the few wins that they had last year. So if those n- numbers do go up, it will definitely be good. But I have confidence that if William Jackson gets those opportunities where, where quarterbacks do test them, at the very least, he's going to knock the ball out of the air because his ball skills are tremendous. They're one of his best assets that he has, not just a sticky man coverage guy, but a guy who finds the ball. And that's a, that's a rare trade nowadays for cornerbacks. And um, it, I, I, to answer Sam's question, I think Bates will naturally have more interceptions because he's just that rangy free safety. And, and it's more likely that quarterbacks are going to are going to either miss him in, in some type of read down the field or the, the fact that he has great ball skills himself. So he definitely has the track record for that at, at, uh, Wake Forest, and I think he had three or four last year. So I think naturally Bates is going to have more, but I, do, I I would wager that Jackson has at least two this year under, under this new defense. Yeah, I you know it's um, I, I agree with you on Bates. That's what I said, and I think also there's going to be more formations and more. He's got more ground to cover and more. Uh, I guess a little bit more uh, responsibility in terms of watching different pass catchers, uh, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, William Jackson may be on one side of the field really watching one, maybe two, if he, you know, if he reads reads things well, one or two pass catchers, whereas Jesse Bates kind of has to look at a lot of different things. So I think there's just going to be more opportunities there. Um, I, I, I love your point about the dropped interceptions, and that's not, that's not one I – uh, that readily came to mind, but I remember thinking that last year and the year before Drake Kirkpatrick has had a hell of a time with that. <laughs> um, and you know, both those guys, both their starting corners last year. In fact, all three of their former first round corners, Darquez Denard, Drake Kirkpatrick and William Jackson. I don't think they had an interception between the no. three of them. Um, and, and those are all first former first round corners, your top three corners. And you know, you're sporting one of the worst defenses in the league and these guys are dropping interceptions. So, 
there's no uh, there's no real excuse for that aside from lack of concentration, maybe a little bad luck, that sort of thing. But you're right. That's, and those are the things that swing a game. We're going to talk about Carson Palmer a little bit, believe it or not, later in the program. But if you remember in his early years, even though that defense couldn't really stop many people, the way they stopped him was getting interceptions, forcing turnovers, and that led to short fields and a lot of touchdown passes for Carson Palmer as a young quarterback um, you know, I, I, I think that this defense is doing a disservice. Um, you're going you're gonna to have to do something well, whether it's getting off the field on third down, whether it's forcing the turnovers or just in general, um, not allowing big chunk plays. They didn't really do any of that well last year. And now, at least from, like you said, it's limited sessions and what they're doing. And obviously, it's probably a little bit vanilla in terms of offensive playbooks and what they're installing. But um, it sounds like they're starting to kind of catch their stride a little bit under these new coaches. Yeah. And, I, and, and the natural is another big part of that because it's at some point these interceptions are going to, are going to find their way. And like you said, like the top three cornerbacks didn't have an interception. And I think last year they had, they had them playing a lot of off coverage and zone and typically, you know, cornerbacks who are in those schemes, they take advantage of like, you know, stepping in front of passes and, and kind of, uh, confusing quarterbacks about what, what, what coverage what coverage it is downfield and then make it, make it a bad throw and then them being in good position to actually jump the pass and whatnot. But there wasn't any really thing um, confusing about reading the Bengals' defense last year, so they were just in bad positions to play the ball in general and allowing just easy separation for when they were targeted. And I think Denner did a pretty good job in terms of coverage and, and, and limiting um, slot receptions from his own regard. But again, they just weren't put in very good positions last year to, to do those kinds of things. And I definitely think that was part of the, the mini regression we saw from Jackson in the early part of the season when Terrell Austin was still a defensive coordinator. Towards the end of the season, he kind of turned it on in, in terms of coverage ability because he was allowed to play more main coverage and allowed to follow his guy a little bit more. And so, so I, I do think that there's definite room for improvement for Jackson and definite room for development still, even though, even though he's a pretty old guy for his fourth year. With, with Dre, I think he just is who he is, but that's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing. So I, I think if they just limit him, being put in those bad situations, he'll be fine. And maybe he'll get an interception for his way too. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, it hasn't been all bad. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the ugh, performances by uh, quarterbacks, but it's not all bad on offense in terms of news. Um, Joe Mixon was was back in this week. He had kind of been resting or, or nursing a minor injury, but he has been back. He caught a touchdown pass from Andy Dalton, apparently, in practice. Uh, and Alex Erickson continued to make plays in practice as well. So some bright spots, uh, including uh, some, some positive updates on the health front with Joe Mixon, so that's good. But um, all in all, the offense seems to be a step behind the defense, at least in the most recent practices of OTAs as we sit here in early June. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sharon with a brand new microphone, and I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're happy to have all of our live listeners join us, and we thank you for tuning in live and or listening to the show after the fact and downloading it through a number of different channels. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play Music, you can also get it on the Megaphone platform, YouTube, as I mentioned, and everything is on CincyJungle.com. We also appreciate a lot of the comments I've been, uh, I, I've, I've been seeing at least that people, you know, they, they say they watch the YouTube videos of us almost every day at work. I, I saw a listener say um, they, they 
download the program religiously and uh, we can't thank you enough for that. We appreciate that and we're going to try our best to get you continued and increased content for the Bengals coming up this year in 2019. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. So an interesting dynamic that I've noticed in the past month is for how strong the positive PR has been going towards Drew Sample, the exact opposite is happening to Ryan Finley. And I think that's, <laughs> I think that's interesting because they didn't tra- they traded down for Sample and got him at a better value than they did originally if they picked him in the second round. They traded up for Ryan Finley. And mm-hmm. not only not only they trade up for him, they traded up for a quarterback, a quarterback that some analysts have the wrong idea of thinking this could potentially be Andy Dalton's replacement. And for all the good things we've heard about Drew Sample, we've heard nothing good about Ryan Finley and me and you discussed talking about this a week or two ago and think, you know, let's just, let's just kind of wait on it. There's still some more practices to be played. Again, they're, they're not going up against the, any form of a pass rush here, but he just has not had a good practice. Apparently now, neither are you and I are at the practices. We don't, we can't see this with our own eyes, but just any, anybody watching the practices are, are telling the same thing. And that's Finley has been errantly inaccurate, just not making right reads, throwing interceptions left and right. And thinking, okay, at what point, do we sit here and say, if Finley isn't ready to go for the season, do they keep Jeff Driscoll as a third quarterback? And when we're asking ourselves that question, that next thing you know, Jeff Driscoll is having bad practices. So anybody behind Andy Dolan right now, I guess, aside from Jake Dolagala, the undrafted guy from Fake College, Central Connecticut State, like there's just not, there's not a lot of promise there. And that's not something, I guess, anything new when we're talking about backup quarterbacks for Andy Dolan. There's never been that guy that has any resemblance of measurable upside beyond what Andy Dalton is. And I think Adrian Karen's like the prime example of that. So Anthony, at what point, and I, I don't know, it's, it's OTAs. We, I, I don't put much stock in OTAs either, but if this problem persists, at what point do we start actually having the conversation of them keeping Jeff Driscoll along with Ryan Finley? I, I don't know because I'm looking at another, I, I, I keep, uh, I keep mentioning this, this beat writer, uh, Jay Morrison from the athletic he, he tweeted yeah, uh, on Tuesday, Driscoll and Finley go one for five. A screen pass was their only completions in, fir- in the first round of 11s. Um, rookie Jordan Brown with a near pick of Finley. Uh, bad overthrow by Finley on the next throw and hits Brown right in the hands for an easy pick, but he dropped it. Speaking of drops, by dropped interceptions by <laughs> quarterbacks. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I would not like to see them keep three quarterbacks on the roster because – they need to keep other players, especially with how bad injuries hit so many other positions last year. Yes, I know quarterback was included there. But it's going to be crowded on the offensive line. It's going to be crowded at cornerback. It's going to be crowded maybe on the defensive line. Uh, it's going to be crowded at running back with the two draft picks they brought in. I, they're going to need all the room they, they can get. And, uh, you know, so I don't know that keeping three quarterbacks on the roster is the best move for this team. But I am a little worried because we we sat here, John, over the past month, two months, uh, really after the draft, 
and said, you know, this team may not be uh, exponentially better from from a starter's standpoint than they were in 2018, but it's more they're much better prepared to deal with injuries to to some of their bigger players to remain competitive, remain in a potential playoff hunt. Well, now you look at the quarterbacks, <laughs> the most important position, and the a major problem with the team last year when Dalton went down, and it's not getting any better. Um, and I think it's telling us also that, you know, all these optimistic fans I see out there, and, and there's a lot of reason for optimism, but, you know, they're thinking Zach Taylor's waving this magic wand and everything's going to immediately be great. And all, uh, you know, Finley was his guy. Finley was a guy that he really liked. Finley was probably, I would assume, probably the second or third highest quarterback that he, he liked in this draft uh some of the other guys he didn't probably like so that's why he moved up for him they were blown away at his interview and now he's he looks like he's just playing real tight in these practices or he's not grasping the content or both so i'm worried uh luckily this isn't got these aren't guys going after the starting position <laughs> but yes. uh, you know and, and dalton despite you know two basically two the end of two seasons has been very durable in his career, but I, I, I'm worried. And I don't, I don't think that keeping three quarterbacks on the roster is the answer, but I, I at this point you, you may need to. Yeah. And I think the best case would be for this, them to keep Finley because he's the guy you invested in, in, in resources in terms of draft capital that, that you made this the trade out for. And you keep Dola Gala as your, like your practice squad quarterback. So right. you, always keep, you keep typically one. If you keep Driscoll, like the, the, there's two types of teams that keep three quarterbacks, right? When the two quarter, when the two backup quarterbacks are actually talented or when neither of them talented, and you just need as many bodies to the position that you can get because you can't necessarily trust either of them. And the thing with Finley with, with with why I was comfortable with him being a backup is that he's a rookie, but he's like going to turn 25 this year. So you would have to think that his floor of just his baseline ability would just be above other rookies coming into the NFL because he's older, because he's played more. And because in college he did, he did the little things good to, to sustain an offense and to kind of keep the offense moving. Not necessarily elevating it, but just doing what you would want, like, like a backup quarterback to do to just not mess anything up. If he can't do that, if he can't just, run the basic structure of the offense. And again, this is May, this is June. We're, we're, we're obviously really early on this, but if you can't grasp these, grasp these things and these things start trickling over into train camp, then they're going to have to bite the bullet on another fourth round pick and, and essentially keep the, the, the backup quarterback that we, we thought wouldn't have a shot in the dark of making the roster. So it's going to be up to them either pulling the trigger on that very soon or just kind of letting it play out because again, he's still a rookie, but he's not necessarily a young one. He's not one that would have required a lot of development for, for the prospect that he was. So this is going to be interesting, interesting situation that, that they handle with, and they better get him up to speed quickly because they're not going to be able to spin this like, like they're having for Drew Sample if the guy just flat out isn't good. Right. And that is, again, kind of what worries me about this because Finley, like I, I just, I got to reiterate this. Finley was a guy that Zach Taylor was very high on. Uh, he was the only quarterback they brought in, like the right. only quarterback they legitimately considered drafting. It was, right. it was just saying something. Right. And they moved up, which this we all know this team doesn't move up very often at all for, for players. And um, this is a draft class that the new coach needed to maximize every pick and get and squeeze every bit of talent out of to get this team to be competitive right away once again. And, um, you know, 
a lot of times a backup quarterback isn't an important position. He's not important until he's really important, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I mean, luckily, like like I just said, these guys aren't going for a starting position or or are not. It's not a position where they're going to be rotating in or anything like that. My thing is, is I, you know, I, I didn't see enough from Jeff Driscoll last year to make me say, oh, you know, he's he's a, a solid backup quarterback. I'm looking also at at the available, uh, at least I, this is a somewhat updated list here from just a couple of days ago, uh, available free agent quarterbacks. I mean, there's not much out there, John. There's Brock Osweiler, Brandon Whedon, Matt Castle. Uh, you know, I, I mean, at, at least – I, I think they're available at this point. I could be wrong, but uh, Mark, Mark Sanchez is out there. Uh, I mean, so th- there's not a lot out there if they need a veteran guy uh, to replace some of these guys. And, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what, what the Bengals do. I, a question I wanted to bring up to you, and I guess it's hypothetical, and it's one we'll never really know uh, unless Andy Dalton goes down with an injury again this year, but do you think that Driscoll would have fared? I mean, obviously he would have probably been better with some surrounding talent, but if the bank, if the injury bug hadn't hit the team so hard, would you have, do you think Driscoll would have shown enough to be like, yeah, that's a good backup quarterback. Or did he pretty much show who he is? Uh, even though AJ green was out of the lineup, the defense was banged up. The offensive line was kind of a mess. Um, I don't know. I, I just kind of been mulling that around a little bit. I, I don't know. I, I think I think we all kind of knew who he was. I don't think this was like some hidden in the third Tom Brady type situation because the dude wasn't that good in college. And yeah, he was athletic and yeah, he's got a strong arm at times, but he just not really has that baseline accuracy and something that like, like you notice across the league when, when you have a less than talented quarterback in regardless of the surrounding talent and the overall structure of the offense, typically those quarterbacks will force it down the field a lot more because um, play callers, offensive coordinators kind of want to take those, those deep shots as much as possible because you're not going to get the, the easy yardage out of those short intermediate throws because they're just not consistently accurate enough to do so. So Driscoll was like one of the top quarterbacks in terms of pushing the ball down the field. And as a result, when they weren't playing like the Oakland Raiders defense, they, they just struggled to move the ball and just struggled to get those explosive plays. And of course this was with, with, AJ Green out of the lineup for the, for the most part, if not all, for if not for all those games. So losing him is obviously you know a big component of that offense. And maybe if he was on the field, Driscoll's numbers would have been a little bit better. And I guess like the traditional stats um, put Driscoll in, in a, kind of a decent light. I think his pass rating was still marginal with with, with Dalton's towards the towards the end of the year. But no, he he didn't show to be like an effective starting quarterback at all. And you know the backup quarterback talent pool. In the NFL is pretty dry at the moment, and there's one guy that I won't mention his name because it'll probably piss a lot of people off. But like, that, yeah, that really, was an, I was gonna go there, but I, yeah, uh, I think I, I think we're talking about the same guy. But yeah, yeah. But, but, but yeah, like there was a reason why they invested in a backup quarterback because they can definitely do a lot better than Jeff Driscoll. I think whoever Jeff Driscoll is right now, he's probably going to be in for the rest of his career. There's only so much you can do with him. There's so much, only so much how you can hide him. Um, there, there is that you know wrinkle in the playbook where you can use them like like a Taysom Hill, and they even did that against the Saints and Taysom Hill when they had them for that read option run for for a touchdown. There's only so much you can do with that though, and obviously when they when they have him practice as a receiver, he gets injured. So there, there's just only 
Right. There's just only so much upside you have with, with a guy like Driscoll because he can't just, you know, keep the locomotive train moving and you, you have him forcing these deep shots and he's just not accurate enough on all parts of the field. So that was what I hoped Brian Finley would be. And there's still definitely time for him to be that. We haven't even got to training camp yet, but there's that like, I just, I don't have a lot of hope that Driscoll can be any, anything better to supplant Finley, even if Finley's struggling. Yeah. And, and like I said, my, my big fear with it is the fact that, uh, I mean, this was a guy that came in and, and was diagnosing the, the plays, doing the whiteboard drill to perfection and really blew away the coaches. And now he's out there actually on the field and seeing pro talent. And he looks like, a, I mean, based on the stats and the performances I'm, I'm reading and seeing, um, doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. And doesn't look like the guy that they were so confident in uh, going forward. And then, like you said, I think we've seen what we need to see from Jeff Driscoll in terms of, if the team needs to rely on him for a game or two as a, as a starter, if not more because of injury. So um, it's, it's a sentence that may irk some people, but thankfully the Bengals have Andy Dalton uh, based on, <laughs> based on what we've been, based on what we've been seeing and hearing about from these backup quarterbacks. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're happy to have you with us, all of the live listeners, and we're happy that you're downloading this program on any number of platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play Music, the Megaphone platform, as well as YouTube and CincyJungle.com. We appreciate all the support, all the subscribers. Keep tuning into us. We're going to get you a lot of different stuff over the next handful of months and into the regular season. John, you know, unfortunately, th- this time of year is, uh, you know, it can be a little slow on the news front, I guess. Um, I, but I, there, there's some there's some familiar faces, some old names connected with the Bengals that reemerged through some headlines recently, and it kind of got me thinking about some stuff. Uh, so I, I have some audio clips that I'm going to play. Um, the first is from Marvin Lewis, who was recently on Adam Schefter's podcast talking about his new job with Arizona State. I don't want to go into the, it's you know probably a ten or fifteen minute interview I think if not longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to do the whole thing, but uh, I want to play this part. It was especially pertinent to the Bengals um, and uh, you know, kind of his thoughts on and his mindset towards the Bengals in 2019, based on the fact that he's now going to be with the Arizona state Sun Devils. So I'm going to play this here. If for some reason you do not hear it, please let me know. But um, here we go. Well, I know you'll be the help out coach there, but when the first Sunday of the NFL season rolls around, will you be so wrapped up in Arizona state's affairs or will you have a chance to watch the Bengals? Well, I, I don't think I will look. For, I will be watching the Bengals. Uh, you know, other than the fact that uh, the, the players that uh, are are near and dear to my heart, uh, there, that's it. You know, the, the players that I brought there. But other than that, that's my only interest in, in the Bengals and what they're doing. Is the players are successful. When you bring up near and dear to your heart, who do you think of and who will you miss this season in Cincinnati, Marvin? Oh, I'll miss them all. I'll miss them all from the. From last year's draft class of the Sam Hubbard's, Billy Price, you know, those guys in last year's class, as well as the guys that have been there 
uh, through thick and thin with me and uh, the AJs and the Andes, so forth, uh, the guys that have been there the longest. And uh, so Joe Mixon, all the guys, uh, Drake and Patrick, all the guys that reach out, you know, uh, from time to time. Uh, I'll miss them all because they've been a big part of my life and hopefully I've been a part of theirs. So, but yeah, I'll be busy here and uh, I won't get a chance to, to peek in on the NFL because I'll be too busy uh, helping us uh, get ready for whoever the next opponent is. So, so I, I mean, there's more to that. And one could, one, you could take that one of two ways, right? I mean, you could sit here and say, you know, he's kind of being a politician about it. He, you know, he did his usual giggle. Um, <laughs> when, when, when you see the quote transcribed about what he said, it's more, it comes off more terse and, oh, no, I, but obviously with Marvin, you know, he's, he's got the laughter and all that kind of stuff. However, I thought it was telling that, you know, it's been played as, it's been played out as an amicable parting of two ways. You know, the Bengals maybe let him say, you know, it, it the Bengals didn't really phrase it as a firing. It was just kind of, you know, they parted ways and they went in a different direction. You would think that Marvin would be a little bit more uh, diplomatic, I guess, yeah. with his words. And the fact that he really only, you know, picked out the players as people that he would miss or think about. Um, I don't know. Is that a telling comment or is that just, you know, spur of the moment he's doing an interview and that's what came to mind? I, I can't answer this without first saying it, I, it's the biggest level of irony that his first job after being the Bengals head coach, besides being an AAF analyst, is the help out coach, which honestly, we, I, we, we've been wanting the description for what Hugh Jackson was with the Bengals in 2018, and we, we never got the word help out coach. So kudos to Marvin for, for finally, finally putting a name on it. But yeah, like, I mean, I don't really blame him that, that much because the dude is for another football team and he's still getting a bag at 60 years old he's going to be closer to his 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 daughter and, and her family down in arizona he's going to live in arizona compared to cincinnati which definitely in the summers is, is definitely better for that but yeah like uh you, you would think there would be slightly better feelings towards the organization as a whole because we we were told that this was kind of like a mutual parting after 16 years which is longer than most head coaches in the NFL get without winning a playoff game. So you, you would think there would be better sentiments with that. But the guy was a player's coach through and through, and it doesn't surprise me that the main thing is going to miss the players. And, you know, obviously there's definitely players that on, in the locker room now that, that miss him as well, even if they are excited about Zach Taylor. I, I don't think the players were tremendously happy to see him go, even if the results could be better. So that relationship doesn't surprise me at all. Um, maybe he definitely could have said it a little bit better, but I don't think there's too many harsh feelings, I guess, with the, with the front office. I know him and Mike are probably still pretty good friends, and maybe there's some resentment towards the Blackburns who essentially maybe snuffed out the plans to replace um, replace him with Hughes. So maybe there's some resentment in, ter in terms of that level, but um, I'm happy for him that, that he's with an old friend, that, that he's got he's got something to do this football season. He could p potentially build his build his career back up into the NFL if he wants to go that way. But I don't think there's as many hard feelings as as there was being with that. And his answer by the players doesn't really shock me for the the, the coach that his players would always say that he was. Yeah, I actually think Marvin has a uh, could have a decent future as a as a college football head coach. Um, maybe at a mid level program, maybe at a a program that uh, is a smaller school or something like that. But um, I think he's got a, a little more to give. Obviously he was involved in the, the AAF um, and 
you know, this off season. And then now he's, he's, he's got the, the bug to still kind of coach. So mm-hmm. uh, he's in there. I just thought it was interesting, um, especially based on our conversation last week with Evan Silva's comments about the Bengals. And um, you know, if there's, if there's more, more there, uh, with the with the ownership um, going forward there, and uh, I also thought an interesting point, and I didn't play it on the on the podcast here, but an interesting point that I thought was part of the interview that Marvin said was that the conversation with um, Herm Edwards stemmed back to last off season. It was about a year ago. Right. Um, so I don't know if that was hey, I'm seeing some writing on the wall. I don't know if he, maybe Marvin was kind of the one who's saying, yeah, regardless of what happens this year, I, I'm going to get out of here. Um, or maybe it was just very pr- preliminary conversations with Herm Edwards, like kind of saying, hey, when you're done, kind of, you know, come over. But I thought the fact that he was talking about this for a year was interesting. Yeah. And uh, and it, it could be, you know, construed as like he kind of knew that his future was in long with Cincinnati and, and the fact that he that. Um, Herm and Marvin were, were, were such good friends when Herm got hired that that opportunity kind of came available just as soon as, as he did get the job. So the, the fact that, you know, Marvin became available and uh, got, got on board with, with Arizona State as soon as he did doesn't really surprise me when, it, when, when I hear that. So it, it, it's kind of like a kind of like a just like a just just like a little nugget of, of like maybe he knew more about his lack of a future in Cincinnati than, than we previously would have known. But, you know, this guy was well-connected, and the, the fact that a lot of his hires and a lot of his decisions made in Cincinnati were so predicated upon the, the connections and the friendships that he had, it doesn't surprise me that, that he had connections are, are already once he left Cincinnati. So that's definitely interesting, and the, the, the fact that it went back, you know, as far as a year, a year ago when he was still two years under contract, and the fact that he actually signed a contract, I, I guess, right uh, before Herm got hired with Arizona State in the, in the winter of 2018. Yeah, uh, he he also noted just a couple of other little tidbits before we move on. But, um, you know, he had a relationship that he noted with, uh, I think it was Ray Anderson, the, the AD of uh, Arizona State, that that helped prompt this job as well as um, – He's he's been uh, hearing from Vontez Perfect over the past month, a former Sun Devil himself, about about going to Arizona State and working there. So um, he does have contact with with a lot of people still, and like you said, he used his contacts um, to to parlay into a new job. And it was just interesting comments by Marvin Lewis, or interesting non comments, I guess, by Marvin Lewis uh, in this interview. There's also something that's been floating around Twitter, um, and it. Oddly enough, is taking place in Arizona as well. Uh, this is with is with Carson Palmer, former Bengals quarterback, former Cardinals quarterback. He engaged in a FaceTime call with, uh, I believe, is a GM or owner of the Cardinals, and he got. So this is about a forty-five second clip. I'm going to play the audio for it. I want you to try and pick out one little comment he makes that uh, may be a, a slant to the Bengals that I thought was very interesting. And I got to talk and ask you a couple of questions based on those comments. So here it is right here. Hey, Carson, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Great to see your face. You too. <laughs> I've never FaceTimed with you. This is a first, huh? Well, it's a little first, yeah. You ready for another first? 
We'd like wow, to put you in this year. Exactly. Yes. That's amazing. I am beyond honored. Well, we're excited to have you. That is so cool. It, it is very cool, and we couldn't think of anybody who we'd like to honor more. I mean, you've done so much for the franchise. I am absolutely honored. It, it was, uh, it wasn't like five years was not enough for me. I wish I would have gotten there earlier, as you know, but I am, I am beyond honored and, and, uh, I can't wait. That's amazing. That's great. Dude. So what, uh, I thought that clip would have said it a little more, but basically what he, what Carson Palmer is, is very excited about is the fact that he's going to be enshrined in the ring of honor for the Arizona Cardinals. He's going to be like their 16th player in the ring of honor. So did you catch the comment, John, that I'm referring to? In First there? of all, what, what, what is the ring of honor? I don't, yeah, I don't know what that is. Well, that, that, that was going to be one of my later questions. But, <laughs> uh, I, I, I think you're alluding to the fact that he wanted to get in a little earlier. And yeah. when he said in, he didn't probably mean the Cardinals ring of honor. He wanted to go to the non-existent ring of honor that is in Cincinnati. Well, in – that, yes, and I also think it, it could have been a lot of different things that he meant getting there earlier. I think I think it kind of also meant getting to Arizona earlier. Also, that yeah, getting, playing somewhere else earlier. Now, granted, he had some tumultuous years in Oakland, but we all know the turning point in Carson Palmer's career was what happened in 2011 when he decided that he didn't want to play for the Cincinnati Bengals anymore. Now, I realize that. You know, we're talking about Carson Palmer and we're talking about Marvin Lewis and some of the listeners may be going, why the hell are we talking about these guys? These guys aren't with the team anymore. Well, they were with the team for a long time. They were very polarizing people and they were people that helped turn around the team. And this kind of piggybacks a little bit on what we talked about last week with what the Bengals do, don't do as, as management. Did you find the comment telling it all that he wished he was there earlier? I didn't. I didn't think about taking it the way you did in terms of I wish I got in the ring of honor earlier that he probably very well could have meant that too. But uh, I kind of felt like that was a, a, a snub of the previous teams, mainly the Bengals that he was on based on that one little comment. I mean, he could have been saying, oh, I wish he didn't go to Oakland first and right. someone over here in Arizona and, and Arizona's a popular retirement place. We all want to get to that place sooner than later. We all want to stop working, but yeah, I think, I, I, I do I do think there is still some clear resentment about how it ended in Cincinnati and, and the fact that it did end that way, he probably wished that he would have gotten out sooner rather than later because like 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 we saw with Arizona, his career did pick back up and he had a tremendous year in twenty fifteen. We talk about the, the year Andy Dalton had in twenty fifteen. Palmer's year was just as good, arguably if not better. He actually did win a playoff game that year and, and did finish the year because he didn't get injured, unlike Andy Dalton. So like who would have known what would have happened had he left Cincinnati earlier? Because there was probably those last couple of years with the Bengals were definitely regrettable. But probably in his eyes, the fact that he probably knew it wasn't going to get a lot better, so we just kind of basically cut the cord in 2011. If he did it a little bit earlier and went to a, a team capable like the Cardinals, who would have known what what his numbers would look like? Who would have known how much more success he would have had? So maybe that's something that he thinks about, and definitely with being inducted in the ring of honor for a team for the third team he played with only for a handful of years, it's gotta be special to him. And just probably a lot of reserve emotions that he feels off of it. So the, the other question, you know, you, you kind of said a tongue in cheek earlier about what's a ring of honor. Um, ironically here, this is what, this is what I find ironic about the whole Carson Palmer career arc, right? He wanted to leave the Bengals because he felt they were a bad franchise and or poorly run. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then he goes to Oakland perhaps an even more dysfunctional 
team and organization in terms of management. Then he goes to the Cardinals, who are also known, even though they've been to the Super Bowl recently and stuff, they are also known as not the greatest managed team in the NFL, and the ownership has had its flaws. So I, it's really funny that he bails. He wants to bail on one team to go to two other teams that really aren't that much better in terms of management style. But regardless, uh, are you surprised that Carson Palmer made the Cardinals ring of honor? And does this irritate you at all based on the fact that the Bengals don't have one? And he would, I would assume, probably be a nominee for that. So I, I, I guess if Palmer makes the Cardinals ring of honor, then using some form of equivalency, Dalton makes the Bengals because their careers are pretty similar in terms of numbers. I think Palmer has them on some adjusted, uh, if you want to adjust for errors, that's might look a little bit better in that light. But yeah, with the, with, I mean, just, I'm, I'm thinking about just great Cardinals quarterbacks in, in their history and they have a long history, but what, like Kurt Warner like, in his later years. And, and, and is it then Palmer? Cause I'm not an NFL story. I don't know a lot of great Cardinals quarterbacks. And if, if they have 16 or 15 guys already in there, like in only one quarterback, I assume Kurt Warner, even if he's not in there, like I, I, I guess the, the, the pickings are slim, if you will, but like, like his short career in Arizona was pretty good. And it, it ended about as well as I think he, he could have expected. He finally got that playoff win. And that playoff win was so historic and so fun to watch in general. So there might be a lot of that itself might also weigh it in on the, on the decision about how it might've been the turning point for the franchise in, in their eyes. But I mean, you talk about the, the dysfunction with the Cardinals organization, at least like the, I think it was Steve Bidwell, the owner who was on the FaceTime call. He's been known as, you know, a guy very open in, in, in his process and with a good relationship with Steve Kahn, the GM, who's not exactly the greatest GM in the world, but like j- just there, just the way that, you know, the, the culture of, of that organization and just the facilities that they have. I, I think that's definitely something that Palmer appreciated more in Arizona compared to Cincinnati where it will obviously had a lot more capital to work with as a more you know generous owner of, of that type. So I think there's differences in, in terms of that. When you look at Palmer's um, appreciation of the Cardinals and, you know, like I get, I, I like, I would be a proponent of, of including Palmer in, in the Bengals history in a positive way. I don't know if you could go as far as putting him in the ring of honor, because definitely from them, it's like, they're not going to be the bigger man in this sense because Palmer told them off and they basically shipped them off to NFL hell in Oakland at the time. So I don't think it will ever happen, but I don't think you can tell the positive history of the Bengals without telling about Carson Palmer and the fact that he was essentially a martyr in his own way. So to, to me, it, he'll go down at, in his own place as a positive, as a positive piece of Bengals history, but I just don't think it would ever happen, even if the Bengals did have a ring of honor, which I don't think that's happening anytime soon. Right, and that that's what bothers me about this whole thing. Now, granted, the Car- the Cardinals – there's a lot of things that bug me about it, but, uh, you know, granted, the Cardinals have been in existence for a long, 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 long time and much longer as an, uh, a pro football organization than, than the Bengals, but, um, you know, they have 16 people in their ring of honor. They have a guy who played for them for five years uh, – who's in their ring of honor. And yet the Cincinnati Bengals with their hall of fame, offensive tackle should be hall of fame, other quarterback and offensive lineman. They can't seem to do that and put at least a small handful of these people uh, in the ring of honor. It's just kind of a shame, especially like I said, when these teams aren't known as the marquee type of franchises, when it comes to football operations and how they run their, their respective teams, it was just kind of, uh, a little bit of a bummer. I, this could be this next question could be an episode 
in of its own, but I don't think I've ever asked you this question. And I think, you know, when people started talking about this, it's, it's, oh, well, Andy Dalton went to five, you know, playoff berths right after Carson left. And, you know, Carson only went to a couple, you know, do you think, what, what if Carson stuck it out? Hmm. Um, you know, and it's so hard to say with any kind of certainty what would have happened, but yeah, I, I think most people, aside from the injuries and all that kind of stuff, I think most people would readily admit that Carson Palmer in terms of a, from a physical standpoint is probably a more talented quarterback than Andy Dalton. I don't, yes. I don't, I don't know if you would agree yes. with me there. Okay. So I guess my point is what if he just waited for this different incarnation or maybe he was the problem with that. I don't know, but I, I, I think about that when I think back to, you know, there's all these what ifs about 2015 and the, what if the Bengals didn't choke and what if Andy Dalton was healthy that year, all that kind of stuff. But if you go back even further, what if he just stuck around and, and stuck one more year or two more years and kind of saw the positive movement going forward? What if he got an AJ green right away that year? Yeah. I mean, you say different and I don't know if you mean different in terms faces of the franchise different way of things there wasn't anything different about the post in the pre-palmer eras in terms of how the Bengals operated they just happened to draft a lot better yeah. as soon as palmer left and obviously that helped because they got draft cap from from palmer but they just got 2011 2012 2013 three back-to-back-to-back great draft classes that built the core of those teams that went to the playoffs and as we saw the lack of free agency the lack of other things that that happened in, in competent organizations were still lacking in the Bengals, and that's why they couldn't you know get past that not not to mention the fact that you know the quarterback and head coach definitely stink, stunk during primetime games, which I, I, I guess was also a problem during Palmer, and you can attribute that more to the head coach. But I don't think there was anything different, and Palmer wouldn't have gotten any leeway or, or any anything that he wanted in, in terms of what, whatever he was bargaining for, whatever he, whatever he was pleading for. So um, kudos to him if he would have stayed and tried to stuck it out and, and honor that contract. But at, at the end of the day, he, he wanted things that weren't going to happen, and once he left, those things – weren't given to the next quarterback because he obviously wasn't demanding them. And he was just a, a young rookie drafted in the second round. So he wasn't going to make those demands that a hundred million dollar quarterback would. So had he stuck around, uh, maybe AJ green has more production because Palmer's a more talented quarterback. Maybe they have, maybe they, maybe they win one of those playoff games with, with Palmer quarterback. We don't know how many more tries it would have taken for him because as we saw the first playoff game, he played in after he left the Bengals, he, he won in dramatic fashion. So, like maybe things are different, maybe they aren't, but I, I don't think, you know, th- things would have been necessarily different because things didn't really change once Palmer left. Yeah. And uh vape guy in the live YouTube chat, I believe that's our good friend, uh, John from Kentucky says Palmer would have stuck it out if Lewis was gone. I don't, part I don't, of know, me, about that. I don't know if I, I don't know if I, I totally believe that either. I think that, I think that was maybe a problem, but, you know, I think Palmer may have viewed Lewis as maybe a symptom of, of other problems, you know, mm-hmm. that were above him. And if you remember a few months back when Palmer was approached, uh, you know, at a golf tournament or something, and he was asked about the new coach, Zach Taylor, and he said, good luck to him. That's not an easy job to have because of <laughs> that team. I think that's a pretty telling statement of how he feels about everything. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, Maybe he was at odds with Lewis, but I think that was maybe 
a little further down the list than some other things. And, um, you know, I don't think there would have been, to be honest with you, he probably was at a point where I don't think anything really would have appeased him. That's why he didn't, you know, maybe, maybe he knew they were going to get AJ green. Maybe he knew they were going to do all these things. And he still said, Nope, no, thanks. Um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be here anymore. And you just at the end of the rope and that's it, but we'll never know what happened there. It was just some very interesting comments from some former Bengals um, that were, you know, kind of lingering in the background with all of the other OTA news and other things we wanted to talk about this week. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can get it on the Megaphone platform. You can also get it on YouTube and CincyJungle.com, the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, that is. We're going to get out of here. We're going to do, uh, we will do another listener question show soon. I don't believe we're going to do one this week because we had so many questions to sift through on that first go round. But I think we'll do one next week, John, if you are available. Um, we may try and do the Friday afternoon thing again, but we will be sure to let you know. Um, as of now, we we may not do a listener question show but we may do uh, a little bit of a, an ota update show this week just to kind of keep you updated so regardless subscribe to the feeds get all the stuff that we have there and you can be notified when we do take the air and uh so you can join us live otherwise get all the stuff in those feeds as you subscribe to our channels john any uh any final thoughts how did it feel that test run with that microphone there how'd everything feel this is amazing. I, I, I want to know, know if it sounds different with, without this. I don't even know what this thing is called that, that you put in front of it. I'm sure there's a technical term for it. I, I like. I also I bought like an arm with it too, but the like the clamp is like too small for my desk. So I'm either gonna have to like add an extension on the on the other side of the desk to put it on, or just like buy another clamp. But I'll get I'll get creative. I'm gonna try to make this place look more professional, make, make like a studio type atmosphere because. This show's staying, and so am I. We got the mic now with it. <laughs> there you go. I don't know if mine's professional behind me, my background. I've got a bunch of collage. Are you kidding me? It's like a whole Bengals memorabilia shop. I have like a blank <laughs> wall with a Led Zeppelin poster. I don't even listen to Led Zeppelin nowadays. That's more like middle uh, school, John. No, middle school. Middle school, John, was a mature guy listening to Led Zeppelin, <laughs> man. Good Lord. Wow. What were you? What were you? Uh, what were you? taken in, in middle school to, to listen to some Led Zeppelin, man. that's uh that's heavy that's heavy it's, it's been it's been like a bell curve right you start you start Led Zeppelin in middle school then you, then you kind of phase into rap and then and then you and then you go back to Led Zeppelin yeah there you go some other times there, there you yeah. go I like it well uh thanks thanks for what you do John I'm glad that uh I'm glad that you're enjoying enjoying your new equipment um I, I may have to keep up with the Joneses here and get some, get some new stuff coming up, but uh, appreciate it. And uh, I don't really have much else except for to say that, uh, like I said, we, like I keep saying we we're going to keep pumping out content more and more. Hopefully, like I said, at the beginning of the show, we'll have Carlos Dunlap as an interview guest coming up. We'll have others as well coming up um, both hopefully Bengals players and other folks, uh, media members and whatnot. So we're going to try and get you more of that stuff going going forward but thanks for tuning in we'll see you next episode for john sheeran i'm anthony kazenza this has been the orange and black insider